says, get that India, big boy. Mike Asimo! Call an ambulance! Might be called a prince! Oh, what a shot! What a shot! Campbell Killer! Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's John, a.k.a. 4020, here for the tip sheet, joined by my good friend, as always, 60s. Mate, how you doing? Mate, very good, very good. And as people who are familiar with the Cumberland Throne knows, there's no off-season on TCT. And even though we've still got rugby league going at the moment via State of Origin, we're going to keep the content coming on TCT all the way through to the 2021 season. 100%. And it's always good to have a catch-up and have a yarn about the footy, which is um, a big part of the reason why we're doing this, isn't it? So it's it's, it's a win-win. We get the chance for the people to to listen to us talk about footy and we get to have a yarn about all the good stuff. So uh, this week's episode is going to be a, a shorter one because we've um, sort of uh, leaning into the, the brevity of the uh, the conversation. Um, and this is just going to be a quick uh, touch um, uh, touch up or catch up on uh, how recruitment and retention is travelling for the Parramatta Eels. And obviously um, we haven't finished running out our top 30 yet, but we do have some things we can talk about. So let's um, dive right into it, mate. The Eels have made a number of roster moves. Uh, last time we did chat, we talked about the trio of players that were signed um, and announced being uh, uh, Isaiah Papali'i, Joey Lusick, and Tom Opechik. But there's been a number of other players who have been linked to in the media in the last week or so, and um, very very interesting things on different fronts. So uh, you want to hit me up with our, our current roster number first? Yes, uh, I've, I've got the numbers personally sitting at 27, and... I'm going to name 26 of them at the moment, just as a as a, uh, a little bit of a teaser there. Ooh. So here's here's the here's the 26 that I think we can confirm, and I am going to include Bryce Cartwright in that 26. So as I said, I've actually got it at 27. I'm going to name 26 now, including Cartwright, Danny Alvaro, Wonga Blake, Dylan Brown, Nathan Brown. Regan Campbell-Gillard, Bryce Cartwright, Hayes Dunster, Blake Ferguson, Clint Gutherson, Dave Hollis, Sam Hughes, Michael Jennings, Oregon Kafusi, Sean Lane, Joey Lusick, Reed Marnie, Ryan Madison, Mitchell Moses, Murata Nyakore, Tom Opechik, Isaiah Papali'i, Junior Paulo, Jordan Rankin, Mike Acevo, Will Smith, Ray Stone. So I've got us sitting at... Those 26 plus one more. Now, the interesting part becomes some of the rumours or the what we have to look at within those numbers. Obviously, we have Michael Jennings and the question mark that remains over him. So I've included him in that 26 that mm-hmm. I just read out. But naturally, there is a major question mark over Jenko, he has to return a negative B sample for him to be part of the roster moving forward. So, And I uh, suppose the silver lining for the Parramatta Eels will be that should that B sample come back with another confirmation of um, the, uh, I suppose it was the steroids and the masking agent, and I think there might have been something else there too, I think the Eels will receive cap relief backdated to the actual um, initial... uh, date where he was uh, stood down. So that's the silver lining to a rather difficult time for the, both the club and the player, I suppose. Well, look, that should be the case. Uh, there's also been some rumours floating around that are linking Daniel Alvaro to the Dragons. There's been nothing more on that than a rumour. So that's why I've included him in the roster for next year. But it could be a case of watch this space. And there are a few rumours around... Uh, the extent of Blake Ferguson's knee, but um, I'm not going to uh, exclude him from the roster because I haven't heard anything to uh, to suggest that he won't be part of the roster. That he'll be he'll be fit to go next year. So, uh, but I'm just going to acknowledge that there's, a, there's just a little bit of talk around uh, Danny Alvaro and Blake Ferguson out there, but without any confirmation or any, any real substance to it as yet. Yeah, it's just one to, um, you know, like you said, when, when you hear it enough 
out in the wild. You sort of just take note of it and move on. And if it does come to fruition, it does, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, and I, I don't really want to be one to to get into the rumor side of things with the roster. That's why I said I'm locking it in right now as 27 players on the roster, and I've named 26. There we so go. there we go. Um, so yeah, looking at the at the most re- let's look at the most recent one first. Yet to be confirmed by the club, but we're we're talking about Bryce Cartwright there. If I can just run off a few stats, mate, before we talk a little bit more about him, he's about to turn 26 years of age, so uh, should theoretically be in the best time of his career age-wise. Debuted all the way back in 2014. He's got 112 NRL career games behind him, a couple of games for City, a game for the World All-Stars. He's scored 20 tries in his career thus far. And just from a size perspective, he's 193 centimetres tall or six foot four for those of us like me who relate back to the old feet and inches uh, and 107 kg. So he's a, He's a fair size and little wonder that he's got that uh, background within the forwards, but that's not to say he hasn't played elsewhere. And just to give you a, a bit of a, a breakdown on how he, where he's played, for the Riff, he played 27 games off the bench, 20 games at 5'8", and 22 games in the back row. For the Titans, where he played 43 games, 19 of those were off the bench. Three were at 5'8", two at lock, two at centre, and 17 in the back row. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking uh, bench player. Yeah, he, he, he certainly feels that bench utility role, which has been a topic of um, a lot of discussion for Paramount fans in 2020 because we've sort of looked at a few different iterations of it. We've gone from... Uh, Mar- oh, I sorry, I was saying Murata. He was wearing the 14, rubber. Um, Ray Stone sort of carved that little um, niche there for a while before he broke his hand. Um, then we had Will Smith come in, and then you know we've also discussed the possibility of other guys. I mean, Jay Field did it for a, a short while too, even though he wasn't used heavily. So, Eels have bounced around a few ideas off the wall when it comes to the the bench utility. So it does yeah. raise it does raise some interesting uh, sort of. Uh, sorry, my puppy's having a little cry, having um, an interesting uh, series of ideas as to where the Eels can go for this in twenty twenty one. So, yeah, well, if. A little while back, mate, I was having a um, – I asked you a couple of questions because I was, I was looking at the Eels bench and I was thinking about writing a post on it and I believe that we needed some sort of impact player off the bench. And if you recall, I said to you, who are some of the bench players in Parramatta's past that were impact players? And I, I threw out uh, Dean Witters – um, David Solomona, and although he was a starter, just probably more than off the bench, but um, Folletti Matteo, and I was trying to come up with players that I thought could play that role that might have been available, and a player that had been on my radar in the back half of the season was Bryce Cartwright, because we knew he wasn't wanted at the Titans and I'm actually really really pleased that Parramatta have gone ahead and signed him I know there's issues that people don't like around Bryce Cartwright with his attitudes towards uh, uh, vaxxing his anti-vaxxing beliefs I'm just going to put that aside. I'm not going to ignore it, but I'm just going to put it to the side because that's not about football. The football side of it, there's some people who who are unconvinced because of what they see as a lack of commitment from him in defence. And we can't sugarcoat that in any way. His time up at the Titans in his defensive work was nothing short of appalling. So. Can he be sorted to get that defensive side uh, ready for NRL with the Parramatta Reels? What's your thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, look, like you said, there's no sugarcoating Bryce Cartwright. It's going to be a divisive signing. Having a chat to some of the people that 
I, I do like talking footy in Parramatta with the general response was um, somewhat negative, and I can understand that. Um, and even myself, like I said, he brings a lot of off-field baggage to the club, and that's going to be a, potentially a concern that he needs to sort out. So, like you said, you put that aside just for the moment, you, you sort of try and isolate the football side of Bryce Cartwright, who is the old riddle wrapped in an enigma sort of player, because in terms of um, talent, you know, he is up there if any player in the NRL. He's got everything. Um, he's got, you know, like you said, that awesome, uh, like starting from the awesome physique in terms of his frame and build. He's got the uh, the soft touch and ball skills of a Sonny Bill Williams in his prime when he really wants to switch on. Um, but unfortunately, he has that, you know, lack of intensity in defense. So that's going to be the big issue initially uh, in terms of cracking the eels because the best parts of our 2020 season, indeed our, our build under Brad Arthur has been the defensive aptitude and sort of inclination to, you know, go 80 minutes tackling hard. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because it's a, as much as you might sit in there, if you may not like this, this is a low, a low risk, high upside signing because he's coming in on essentially what I'd say would be close to a minimum wage or close enough that it's not going to make a difference to the salary cap. And he's going to give you a chance to get a play that could be a borderline rep level difference maker. So, and it is worth noting that, um, I mean, I can't verify this, but I do I do remember seeing an article when we sort of initially vetted our interest about a week ago saying that the Sydney Roosters also made very serious inquiries into potentially bringing Bryce on board. And that sort of shows you that, you know, you've got another, you know, real alpha club in the competition that sort of acknowledges that he could be a difference maker and worth the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, t- you touched on the skills base of Bryce Cartwright. I I think he's right up there, even though they're, they're different types of players and different positions. But to me, he's right up there, maybe just below Junior Paulo in terms of what he can produce out on the field. The, uh, the, the ball skills, the kicking skills, he's... He's someone who I I see if he cracks first grade that he will be used for his impact in attack. So it gives us a different dimension because looking at who we've been able to bring off the bench in recent seasons, I don't know that we've really had anyone who fits that bill. No, and... But it is worth it, like making that point when you draw a comparison to Junior that uh, part of what makes Junior so dangerous is that he's willing to do the hard work as well as the flashy stuff. Yes. And that, that's what Bryce needs to learn when he comes to Parramatta is that you know the ball playing and all the razzle-dazzle stuff is awesome because it can be the huge, you know, the difference-making sort of stuff we need off the bench. But your game needs to be built on the ability to take on the line and do all the hard work first so the defense has to respect what you can bring to the table as just a, you know, that classic edge uh, back rower. I wonder, and this is just something that I'm throwing out there. I wonder what Bryce Cartwright's level of fitness has been in recent seasons, because the way that I see people's commitment to the physicality of rugby league, and let's get straight to the point that, Defence is all about attitude and physicality. If you're not into the physicality of rugby league, you're going to be a de- you're going to be a poor defender. And I wonder whether his if he's had any question marks over his conditioning, mm. because as soon as you've got a question mark over your conditioning, I don't believe you can commit to long minutes. And I wonder then whether that shows out in that attitude towards defence? Uh, I think that's going to be a highly relevant question. And I suppose you can sort of take again or have the Titans travelled this year. And I know Bryce and, and the Titans part of ways early in 2020. But prior to that, the Titans had always been, you know, also ran by, by a very generous definition running, you know, in the running for the wooden spoon for the last number of years. And this year under a new coach, under Holbrook, they did look fitter as a unit. And they, you know, they defended better and they attacked a lot better. So I suppose that there could be that sort of leans into the idea that not only Bryce, but maybe the entire Titans outfit in recent years weren't in the best shapes right until getting this this particular coach. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably uh, a question that we might see answered during the preseason about 
obviously I'll get to watch a bit of the preseason. So I'm going to be interested to see how he goes with some of the conditioning work, conditioning work that Trent Elkin will put them through, and whether he's kept himself in better shape since he's left the Titans. Because I've seen a bit of social media with him working in the gym at um, St Mary's Leagues Club, uh, trying to keep himself in the sort of shape that a club would be interested. So ultimately, um, for Bryce too, this is a, a massive personal challenge. I, I like to think that. He got a real kick up the arse and a real wake up call because he's he strikes me as the sort of player that's cruised throughout his, most of his rugby league career, like the student that is obviously very intelligent in terms of you know all the, the test stuff but doesn't actually study. And you know yep. he's the he's the football player that has had all the natural talent and all the skill and has had to put in and that's carried him through Penrith and the Gold Coast for those two stints. And yes, now he's being you know booted out to out of two clubs and no one in the NRL wanted to touch him for an entire year, which um you know would have probably stung him. And I'd like to think that that was the wake-up call he needed and he's going to come into Parramatta fit and hungry and looking to really prove that he can be the sort of footballer that he should be. And just before we move off talking about Bryce Cartwright, you mentioned before about the low-risk potential high uptake from his signing. Yeah, he's, he's going to be on the sort of money where if what's reported is true, and I believe that it would be, that it's the sort of money that a lot of the players in that lower end of the roster who barely get out of uh, playing uh, reserve grade earn. Yeah. So, so regardless of how you, you sort of sit on the old Bryce Cartwright divide, and like I said, I can understand people that have a lot of reservations about this because I do too. And and like we said earlier, he does bring some baggage off the field, which he's, no, he's going to need to clean up because we can't have any of that stuff derailing us in the you know throughout the course of 2021 but there is very little risk to Bryce Cartwright the player coming into our top 30 and having a crack yeah absolutely and I'm going to go I've put this a little bit out there in social media but I'm going to go on record on the tip sheet as saying that if we get Bryce Cartwright in the right state of mind that this could be the most significant signing that Parramatta makes going into 2021 because I think he represents a major point of difference and when we're looking to spark something in a game, he could just be that that player. So I'm a, I'm a massive tick on this recruitment because it's – low cost as we talked about and I think we're talking about a player who has an unbelievable skill set and yeah there's a lot to work on but if they can get that right yeah it's it's it could be a big difference maker and what my closing argument on this would be sort of an addendum to what we've already talked about but we all know that the salary cap is about risk management uh, risk management rather um, to various degrees. Obviously, there's blue chip guys that you pay a lot of money to that you know are going to perform, and that's why they get paid so much. But in order to keep you know the Eels competing with the other big dogs in the competition, you need to take risks on the other side of things. So this is why Bryce Cartwright, with such a little investment, with such high upside, is an appealing signing. So just just keep that in mind that we do have to take some some chances in these regards as a club that hasn't got the sort of uh, third party support that the uh, I suppose the Roosters. South Sydney, I mean, Brisbane, when they've got their shit together, um, all those sort of clubs have. So you do take some chances. And this is why, like I said, even if I'm not a huge fan of Bryce as it stands coming in, I can understand why we would roll the dice on him. Yeah. Now, just moving on, uh, next signing to talk about, Isaiah Papali'i. Papali'i. Just to give you a few details on him. He's just turned 22 years of age. He made his debut in 2017. He's played 63 games for the Warriors. He's also played a match for New Zealand and a match for Samoa. He's 182 centimetres, which is just on six foot tall in the old scale, 108 kgs. And he's actually scored seven tries in his career thus far. 19 games off the bench, 39 games at second row, three games at lock, two in the front row. So that's his uh, basic stats. And a little sidelight, I believe he's a very good mate of uh, Murata Nikore, so they get to uh, unite once again 
in this time in eels colours. Yeah, Papali'i probably is the, in terms of the the current NRL players, um, probably headlines our recruitment class at the moment. And I know that's not, you know, he's not an amazing player as a, as a blue chipper or a high-profile signing, but he's a very interesting one and, and probably a player that's moving right into the contention for maybe even a starting berth in 2021. So the Warriors sort of tried to convert him to a middle forward during the last year, but I do believe his preference is to play out on the edge. And um, given that Sean Lane had some struggles in 2020, um, I mean, Ryan Madison should have his spot locked up, but uh, Lane's struggles sort of opened the way for a bit of competition on the left. So this is uh, an intriguing signing. So I, I gather from what you're saying there that you definitely see him as an edge forward now, mate. I would say so. I mean... Smaller middle forwards at that sort of 182 centimetre slot aren't unheard of. Obviously, Nathan Brown's not exactly a, a giant in terms of his physical profile. But yeah, I, I am a little bit reticent to sort of push a guy like that into the middle, especially when you've got you know a young guy like Oregon Kafusi and even the two boppers coming through in Hughes and Hollis that you're going to be looking to push as a, the sort of next wave of middle forwards. And given our issues on the edge and our lack of depth on the edge, that's why I would prefer to see Papali'i sort of focus his efforts on being that left edge forward for us. Yeah, and it certainly does provide us with, as you say, that option to look at what Sean Lane's role will be going forward because if he then becomes more of a middle forward or, or perhaps they might even keep that strategy that they used with lane where he would start games on an edge and then shift into mm. the forwards as part of the rotation and then that allows you to have someone like Papali'i on the bench who comes on to play on the edge I mean versatility and ubiquity are never a bad thing for a forward pack so <laughs> if Sean Lane can be both a middle and edge forward when required and even Papali'i if he can be an edge guy that can slot into the middle if there is an injury crisis that's fantastic so yeah, and I think we'd have to say as well that Murata is with his size, he's now far better suited to being on the on the middle than yeah. the edge. And, and and probably prior to this season, he he could have equally played edge or middle, but he very he really looks like a middle forward now. Yes, he's um worked hard on the physique and, and sort of bulked up in a good way. Um obviously not putting on the fat but putting on the muscle. And they certainly found a niche in the middle that is fantastic for the team. He brings that energy and, and sort of aggression that you love to see in a middle forward. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot, mate. Who do you think, out of Cartwright and Papali'i, is more likely to earn the top 17 spot at the start of the season? Hmm... Or you might say you think they're both a strong chance of there is a cheeky there is a cheeky there. chance of both of them being the starting in the starting well, starting team at the top seventeen rubber. Um jeez. Look, if if I had to go right now, I'd say Papali'i, if only because I'm I am certain he'd be in NRL conditioned shape um heading into the preseason and is like he's got the runs on the board as of twenty twenty. Even if you know the Warriors weren't an awesome team in twenty twenty, they managed to put him pretty solidly. So yeah, if I had to put my money down right now, I'd say Papali'i. But obviously, as a fan and as as the club would be concerned, they want they would love to see Cartwright in the starting team or the top seventeen come round one twenty twenty one because that means he is absolutely tore it up in the preseason. Yeah. Now, I've asked you that question for a purpose because I'm going to come back to that question after we go back after we finish going through the signings. So now we look at Joey Lussick. That was the interesting one for a, a lot of Eels supporters. Yeah, there was because a, a lot of hype about the rumor, <laughs> Yes, the rumour that was doing the rounds out there was that the Eels were about to sign Freddie Lussick from the Roosters. And it made sense in terms of a, a backup dummy half after the Eels parted ways with Kyle Schneider. And um, the surprise came when it was Joey Lussick who was secured from the English Super League with a little bit more experience on his side in terms of top-grade football gained in the ESL and, interestingly, actually returning to the Eels where he played 
uh, NYC a number of years back. So just through some, uh, just to go through some stats on him, he's about to turn 25 years of age. He made his debut in 2017 with one game for the Sea Eagles. He was with Parramatta in 2014, 2015, playing NYC, and then he switched mid-2015 to the Roosters. He's played 58 games in the English Super League for Salford. Size-wise, he's actually a slightly larger dummy half, in my in my opinion, in that he's 180, 178 centimetres, not overly tall, 5 foot 10, but he's 93 kilograms. The other interesting part about him is that he's a bit of a try scorer. He scored 19 tries in his top grade career. That was actually one in his first game for Manly and then another 18 tries over in the Super League. He's kicked four goals over in the Super League. So of the of the recruits that we've that we've made, he's um, he sits just one behind Bryce Cartwright in terms of uh, try scored. So uh, interesting recruit there, mate. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was once again it was amusing seeing the. There was a little bit of backlash because everyone went from like, oh, you know, Freddie Lussick's been really good with the Roosters and he's got a bit of speed out of dummy half and. You know, he's going to come here and be the, the two I see to read Marnie. And then you sort of it got flipped to Joey because there was obviously a bit of Chinese rumours or Chinese whispers in play, in play. And someone heard the name Lossick and sort of went to, to Freddie instead of Joey. And they're like, oh, man, like really? Player from the Super League. And it, it's understandable because, you know, the Super League certainly, um, even if it's had some awesome English imports in recent years in terms of the forwards, um, hasn't always been kind to, to returning expats. And in this case, I sort of had a poke around and I was pleasantly surprised by what I found with um, Joey Lussick. And obviously there's a connection there from Parramatta in the past. But in the last two seasons, he's helped Salford get to A, the Super League Grand Final last year, which I unfortunately lost. And then this year where they're not doing as flash in the uh, the regular season, but they got to the Challenge Cup Final, which once again, they unfortunately lost. But um, Lussick helped, book, helped them book their ticket to that Grand Final with a try in the semi-final. So he's been a, a you know a good contributor to a team that's sort of surprised a lot of people in the Super League, I dare say, because Salford have always been the the team that's been out uh, buying aggressively in terms of uh, uh, foreign players and all that sort of thing. With uh, is it the mad mad dev, the mad doctor? Is that his name? The the guy that used to run them or owns them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and so they've, yeah. they've um been very aggressive in terms of recruitment, but haven't always gotten the results. But with Lussick's helping them helping them at the helm there, they've been much better. So look you got to look at it this way, is that he's not coming here to be your number one dummy half. He's coming here to deputise Reed in case something goes wrong. And that, that was a... I mean, we were walking on glass this year. Reed broke his foot, and fortunately enough, the COVID-19 break did happen, allowing him to heal. But, you know, when he did his AC joint and looked like he could be out for a couple of weeks, everyone went, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do? And thankfully for us, Reed toughed it out and, you know, had one week off and then battled through the rest of the season. But... Yeah, I'm 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 really on board for signing because obviously it's not going to be hugely expensive. Um, there is some familiarity with the club, which is always good, and I think that you know he's a guy that can do a job. And having a you know Will Smith did a job for us as a non-specialist backup dummy half. So having an actual specialist backup dummy half is going to be really good for the team, and is also going to help the uh, reserve grade team should they get back up off the ground, which I I hope they will in 2021. Um, help them be uh, you know uh, as a competitive outfit as possible. I think it's an interesting signing because BA showed that in the in the back half of the season that he really wanted to have someone on the bench that could give Reed Marnie a rest and would be able to deputise for him in short stints out on the field. I just have that feeling that with Joey Lussick, he's going to be someone who might have fairly high ambitions about what he wants to achieve. And so while the Eels are buying him as a backup option, I've got a feeling that he's going to push every possible um, area of his own game to give himself a chance of starting on the bench at the very least, which then puts a question mark over what does that mean for someone like Ray Stone? who was on the bench as a utility forward who could cover dummy half. And 
I actually think looking at the background of Joey Lussick, he could almost do the same thing because he's got a little bit of physicality about his game where at a pinch he could be covering, I don't know, say a, a, a bit of a roving lock position depending on what what might happen in a game. So I think it's an interesting signing. Any last words from you on that, mate? Yeah, and it is worth noting that around the NRL, there has been a trend to bring back that number 14 sort of dummy half utility. I think in, um, you look at the top clubs and obviously the Sydney Roosters for out in, um, necessity almost uh, went through uh, Lussick and, and Verrills. But even then, Verrills had carved out a niche for himself last year to really push Jake Friend. And this year you saw Freddie Lussick do exactly the same when uh, when uh, Verrills went down for the ACL against us. So and you sort of just you keep stretching for that. And I know Brandon Smith has a more unique role given his uh, sort of uh, interesting skill set in terms of ball running and whatnot, but he does a similar role for the Melbourne Storm. So there's a, there's a lot of um, old school sort of um you know everything old is new again trend with the number fourteen coming in and deputising the hooker. Well, now we move on to the uh, last of the currently confirmed signings, and he's actually the oldest of the currently confirmed signings, which is Tom Opachik, because he's just turned 26. So he's just a little bit older than... Absolute dinosaur. Uh, than, <laughs> ...than Bryce Cartwright. But that gives you an idea of the age group that we're recruiting. He made his debut way back in 2016 for the Broncos. Since then, he's had his injury concerns. <clears throat> he's only managed to play a grand total of 43 games in the NRL across the Broncos and the Cowboys. He's listed as 183 centimetres, which, again, is around that six-foot mark. Quite sizable for a centre in that he's 100 kgs and 14 tries scored in those 43 games. He's played virtually all of his matches at at centre, a grand total of 37 matches at centre, he's been on the bench five times, and he's played wing on one occasion. So that's his that's his stats. Now I've, I'm pretty sure that the Eels had a bit of a nibble at recruiting him when he was back at the Broncos. It's just there in the back of my mind that he was a target a couple of years back. That seems quite possible. And when you consider that um, he's He's someone who is probably he's more in that. Would you say he's more in that defensive centre mould? No, renowned as a that that seems solid. to be the consensus. Yes, that he's a, a sort of plus defender with um you know he's a, a a competent you know with a ball in hand but nothing flash. So yeah, he's 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 potentially a short term backup. At this stage, and we're saying at this stage because we're not giving any of these folks um, too much um, potential in terms of um, what they might be capable of. We, we can only really judge on their recent form, but he's, he's potentially that backup for Michael Jennings should Jennings be uh, banned for a number of years and his career be up, and his career effectively ending it's is he the center that you would want recruited to replace Jennings as like a, a, a targeted recruit in that respect uh, I, I mean maybe he could end up being a long-term solution but I see him more as an ideal stopgap he really plugs that hole nicely can slot into the center role without being a complete liability which you know it's one of the more defensively intensive uh, positions when you're, you're sort of left posted up in one-on-one or two-on-two uh, situations. So um, maybe he ends up proving that he deserves a long-term deal for us, and that'd be absolutely awesome. It's always great to hit on those, you know, uh, raw diamonds or diamonds in the rough in those spots. Um, but, yeah, I just see him as a, as a guy that can come in and do a job, which is really good for Parramatta, <laughs> given what's happening with Jenko. Um, and it is worth noting that I think the uh, overarching opinion from Cowboys fans this year was that they would have preferred to see him play over someone like Isan Masters, who is the more high-profile uh, member of their squad. So that, that's not you know not a huge endorsement saying he's going to be outstanding for Parramatta, but it does speak to the fact that at least the last team that had him 
um, preferred him over an, the incumbent option, I suppose? Is it is it fair to say that he's been marked down in recent times because of injury concerns and being a, unable to get a decent stretch of game time every time he's, he seems like he's going to crack first grade yeah. that there's an injury that happens? Because my recollections when he was first hitting the top grade at the Broncos back in uh, 2016 was that he was very highly regarded. He was going to be the the next star centre coming through their club. Yeah, Opacic was a highly touted recruit or prospect rather than recruit out of the Brisbane system going back a few years. Um, And I think actually his sort of rise coincided with um, one of our better uh, Holden Cup teams back in 2017-ish, I want to say. Or maybe even before that. I'm just, I'm just trying to get my... Because we had the 2014 team that went to the grand final qualifier as well. Um, yeah, so he was he was in the system around that, in that period somewhere. And I do remember his name popping up a few times as this guy's almost like, you know, a certified first grader in the making. Um, and then, you know, like you said, the, the injury sort of helps um, fizzle at least the, um, the early part of his career. And I mean, it is worth mentioning that, you know, your best ability as a professional player in any code is your best, uh, is your availability. Um, being healthy, yeah. being healthy is a skill, and yes. um, you know, and yes, there is luck involved in, to, in that too. And I'm sure a lot of the guys that do get hurt take a lot of care of themselves. But you know, the ones that stay healthy, they're the ones that get picked. And for Tom, that's going to be the challenge: is that he's definitely been, you know, uh, cursed with the sort of uh, the odd injury here and there, which is enough to, to derail any sort of consistent run in first grade. So for Parramatta. You know, he's coming into a system that's done a lot of great work with soft tissue injuries. Um, I think in, in 2020, um, Trent Elkhorn did a fantastic job. We've had some, obviously we had some serious stuff, knocking guys out like syndesmosis and broken hands and, and that sort of stuff. But in terms of lingering soft tissue injuries, the only one that really comes to mind is Mitchell Moses. And even then that was more of a factor of Mitch sort of getting banged up in that second preseason by himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think they're, the Eels staff have really done a tremendous job. I think they're probably one of the leading crew in the NRL in terms of managing uh, injuries, doing prehabilitation. It's It's been something that has been a turnaround for the club. Now, I want to get back to the question that I asked before because these four players ostensibly have been bought for very little money. I don't believe that any of the of the recruits would have been on will be on anything beyond one hundred and fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. So you look at the recruits and you go, these are depth signings. But I'm going to put it to you: Is there a chance that all four of those players are in the top seventeen? Come round one. There is definitely an, it's an outside shot, um, just not not as a knock of those four players, but the fact that all four of them have to squeeze into seventeen spots in a rush, in a roster that's got, I'd say, as many as fifteen spots maybe settled, and that that's a maybe because competition in the preseason can really shake things up. But you're looking at a lineup that's got as many as fifteen spots that could potentially be jotted down in pencil, not pen, um, as. Uh, you know, starters for round one, 2021. But yeah, I, I can see a scenario where that does happen. Because um, I'm, I'm thinking we effectively, that 15 that you talked about effectively drops to 14 without Michael Jennings. That's exactly right. So immediately that opens the pathway for uh, Tom Opacic to have a crack at that centre spot. Yes. Um, and we, we know for a fact that based on what we saw in 2020, that Brad Arthur would be keen to see a, a bench hooker or super utility so that sort of gives both Cartwright and Joey Lusk a shot. And if Cartwright, yes. if Cartwright's good enough, he can also force that se- – not even a second utility spot, but like a specialist sort of forward spot, um, you know. So that sort of gives you a utility, Cartwright, and then Murata, and then you sort of take your, your best middle forward after that. So um, – and that, that could be Papa Lee pushing Sean Lane to the bench. That could be Papa Lee coming off the bench – so, yeah, I could see a scenario where all four would start, but I, I wouldn't put my money on it. Um, no. Well, I I think there's a strong likelihood that two of them 
are part of the seven yeah, I, I, I think, round I one. think two is a very good bet, yes. So uh, just uh, now that we've covered the ones that are either confirmed or we believe are, are definite signings, let's just touch a little bit. It's not really our go, but let's just, just touch a little bit on a, a, a very strong couple of rumours that are out there. Dip the toes into the rumour mill. Yeah, just a, just a touch because we know that people enjoy talking about potentialities. So Devon French is a very, very strong rumour that's out there. It's been around, the been around for weeks and almost months now. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the, you know, one-time Parramatta wonder kid um, obviously came in and scored a million tries as a rook and then uh, couldn't quite go on to consolidate his position in the team, unfortunately, because he was absolutely awesome watching him on the wing as a, you know, a very unique presence out there. Obviously a smaller frame, but very fleet of foot with some insane football skills. So Bev's gone over to the ESL in the last couple of years with the Wigan Warriors. Is that correct? Yes. And um, he is, as as no one would be surprised to hear, he's done really well for himself. Um, the sort of the faster game, um, obviously the, the the lesser defenses over there have really paved the way for him to play this hybrid 5'8 fullback role over there. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's in the I keep, he's either in the running or the actual lead contender for their Man of Steel award for this season. So he's absolutely killing it. And yeah, he's been linked multiple times now. I think going back to a Chamis or Carianis article a number of um number of weeks ago. So a a, a player, a, a, sorry, a medium over a bit of clout in terms of um breaking this stuff. And since then, we've had his manager confirm this week that the Parramatta Eels are in the running for his signature, but they are up against a pretty stiff uh, counteroffer from Wigan, who I believe have something on the table in the vicinity of $350,000 a season. So that is uh, very good money, obviously, for young Bev. And I do say young Bev unironically because he is not an old man by any means still. Uh, so I think he'll have to weigh up how much the uh, you know financial security of the Wigan offer is worth versus coming back to Australia for a chance to play for a team that he obviously is close to and have a shot at the premiership as well as be close to family members and, and even just getting away from the, the sort of, I say second, but it's probably even third wave of COVID stuff happening over in Europe at the moment. Yeah, my understanding is that he's very keen to return to Australia. So as you said, it becomes a matter of the financials versus lifestyle that he must want to return to because all of the pluses of, that players have about spending time in England and the closeness of Europe to England for their lifestyle and their travel and getting to have that experience as part of their life, not just their career, there's, there's always that attractiveness. But with the COVID situation going on, that's completely stripped away. It's yeah. It's now them being in, in a bubble in the UK. And they don't, then they also don't really have that convenience of being able to come home and back and, and not go through quarantines. And it's just a, a completely different scenario. So, yeah, he's got to weigh that, that sort of factor up. Also, against the likelihood of, being a starting player mm. in whatever team that he goes to because where Bevan French forces his way, were Parramatta to recruit him, where he forces his way into the team would be another interesting uh, consideration when you're looking at Clint Gutherson, who should have won the Dally M Award, and that's not skirt away from that. He should have been the Dally M player of the year. Or at least co-Dally co M with, uh, yeah. with Wyden, but yes, yes at the very yeah. least. At the very least, co-Dally M, yeah. We shouldn't... I sh uh, th this isn't a, a, a knock on Jack Wyden at all because he is uh, one hell of a player. So, um, uh, yeah, so it, that's a, that is very much a, an interesting rumour that's, that's out there. I'd if I was to put a percentage, my guess percentage on it, I'd, I'd feel that there's about a 60 to 70% chance that he returns. I might have put it a bit higher before this recent offer was put to him by Wigan. And he also is playing in a competition where 
they fall for his dummy. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. old Bevan French dummy. They're they're looking this way and that. Where's the ball going? And then he, as he as he shoots through the line, it's it's quite extraordinary because the the thing about in in Australia was that when he first hit the NRL, a lot of players fell for the Bevan French show and go. And yeah, now um, in in more recent times, just before he he finished his time at Parramatta, it was read a lot easier. So. I regard Bevan French as someone who, with his last season being 2018 for Parramatta, that could have been the last season for an awful lot of players that were playing first grade for Parramatta. It was it was not a good year, and it was a it was probably for someone who's a confidence player like Bevan French. He was playing totally devoid of confidence all he was it seemed like he was ignoring all of his natural instincts playing for us in that season if his natural instinct was to step to the left he'd step to the right yeah it was almost like he was second guessing himself Mm -hmm. and i think in far too many times far too many occasions that the option that he'd take would be the wrong one and you could just you could sense that as he got possession of the ball he was thinking about what he was going to do. And Bevan French is so much an instinct player, so much uh, right a spur of the moment where at his best, those those spur of the moment occasions, they're his bread and butter. Yeah. he He's incredibly skilled. And if he is able to, I think he should be able to return to Australia. Hopefully it's with Parramatta. But he has a place in the game, especially if he's, his confidence has returned. And it certainly looks like it has over in the UK. He's absolutely slaying them from the, the bits that I've seen of their, of their games. So um, now uh, there was a little bit of a rumour as well about yeah, Daniel Roach. Out of the Daily Telegraph yesterday, um, they were doing their sort of recruitment roundup for all 16 clubs in the NRL. And uh, in Parramatta's column, they had a little... Um, throw out that the Eels are close to signing Nathaniel Roach, who is a sort of hooker slash super utility by way of the New Zealand Warriors. And um, you talk about your best ability being availability. Unfortunately for Nathaniel, he sort of is the, the poster child for that in the wrong way. Um, he's played 26 games since debuting in 2016. So he's had one season's worth of um, sort of NRL experience in about five years of actual competition. And um, I, was, I was sort of running it through you last night, and I think we had him down as doing most recently his ACL and then he missed an entire season due to a back injury that he couldn't get right. And then prior to that, he had an Achilles injury. So he has done the full gamut of serious sporting injuries. And to his credit, he's still battling away. But yeah, he's been linked to us surprisingly on a development contract. So I do wonder if there's some wires being crossed there because as far as I understood, we had our, sort of our development contracts mapped out already for some of the young kids. And having Nathaniel on a development contract also uh, sort of handcuffed us to not being able to use him until uh, June 30 barring a severe injury crisis. Yeah, it's it's certainly one out of left field considering there's already been the confirmed recruitment of Joey Lussick. I'm not I'm not ruling it out. It it almost ends up being a little bit of a warriors connection there with Marada and uh, Isaiah Papali. That that is something that is worth like not disregarding because um, like I said, the Eels have to find a way to make a difference in the salary cap with no, you know, huge third-party component to their uh, over. I like can overflow to their sort of value of their players. So you go shopping where player where clubs are selling, and the Warriors indicated they were selling this year, and that's uh, sort of where we landed Papali'i, and it, that's why it wouldn't shock me if Nathaniel Roach was also a potential value pickup from them. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of interesting uh, rumors, but um, look, pushing on. The Eels news hasn't just been around their recruitment. The club considers itself as a development club. And there's been a little bit of Eels junior news that's come out recently. We've had the the squads announced for the uh, the Harold Matts and the SG Ball. We've also had the development squads announced and a revamp of how they go about the development squads uh, work during during a year. Then, for those people who are unfamiliar with the development squads, 
they have a group of players who receive elite junior coaching prior to them entering the age teams for Parramatta. So the age teams being the Harold Matts and the SG Ball team, which in previous years has been under 16 and under 18. I believe next year it'll be under 17 and under 19. Yeah, so a big, big shake-up in the district reps, regardless of what Parramatta are doing with their actual pathways. You got yeah, and that's come about because of COVID with the, yeah. those 16s and 18-year-old players basically losing last season's development. Yes. So so there's a, a group of squads that are, have been made. It's a, There's a history of that at, at, at the Eels where these squads exist. The players are, might get a couple of games throughout the year against other other clubs who have similar squads. But one of the things that has been a, an issue around the Eels juniors is that the club itself is vast geographically. Now, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, it stretches that north-south stretch is enormous. So you're talking about an area up north that's up just past Rouse Hill and down south going down past Cabramatta. That if you were to drive that distance, you're, you're looking at a good hour or so to get from uh, Rouse Hill up down to Cabramatta. It's it's quite a hike, and unless yeah. you have a good run on on one of the motorways, if you were if you were to drive more conventionally, you are through the suburbs. You are really looking at quite a hike that's there. So, if you're talking about young players who are say around the Cabramatta area, if they were doing their development squad training up at Kellyville, that's a big ask of those young Logi- blokes. Logistically, in that area. exactly for the families and the kids to oh. get around. Yep. Yeah, and likewise with the development of the air of the uh, suburbs up around Rouse Hill, because that's a real growth area, and we're seeing the the emergence of the Rouse Hill Rhinos as a as uh, quite a powerful club within the Parramatta district. And it's been because of the residential boom that's occurred up in northwest Sydney. For for those players, the hike to over to the southern part of the Parramatta districts, were they to do district training at uh, Cabramatta, would be just as tough for them heading in that direction. And as it is in the un, until they develop the Kellyville site for um as a, as a match venue, they do travel to Cabramatta for once they get to the SG Ball yeah, the, and the Harold Match. And yeah, Newer is a good play, like a good stadium, but it is a fair trip, isn't it? Oh, it is a it is a long trip. I I live in the Hills District, not as far up as as Rouse Hill, and for me, going to watch the junior reps. I, it could take me, depending on what traffic is like, anywhere between thirty minutes and fifty minutes. To, to get to uh, watch the games there. So for the juniors, that's a that's a, an enormous ask on them. So what they're looking at doing is they what they are doing is they've used the Great Western Highway as a dividing line, and they'll organise training for those who are south of the Great Western Highway as a group. They'll put uh, so the clubs that are from south of the Great Western Highway, they'll select players from those clubs to be a group. They'll they'll have clubs that are north of the Great Western Highway, select players from them. They'll train as a group and they'll come together for some games. It'll be like Para Blue versus Para Gold, that sort of scenario. So they get that they get that elite training. It Rather than a big group, it's two smaller groups. So each player gets a little bit more uh, training put into them. It gives a bit more of a focus on some of the local juniors coming through you still got to have I'm, I'm a big believer you still got to have that top level elite recruitment of kids from outside of the district to add into your elite pathway systems but this at least ensures that they give themselves every chance of maximizing the local juniors and the talent any talent that might be out there so yeah. i think it's a good move yeah and it, it's something sort of in line for times too because you got to remember that um, before the COVID restrictions taking place still, that, you know, their ability to go out into the country and, and sort of run those programs and, like they would in the past has sort of been handicapped 
So this is their, yeah. their response in order to move in-house and sort of um, prioritise what they can control. Yeah, so I'm I'm giving this I'm giving this move a uh, a tick, and uh, and also they do have that senior group of um, uh, in a development. Yeah, that sport. sort of so, pseudo open age for the young guys that are good enough yeah. to mix it up with um kids a year or two older than them. Or well, and and actually, there's some ones in that group too that are a little bit young, even though they're in the in the senior group. So it's it's not throwing them to the wolves in terms of being up against some of the bigger fellas in the in the uh, 17s age group, uh, which it'll be next year. But they're still tr- getting that elite training and preparing them for that that step up into the into the 17s. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a it, it's an interesting time. I and the one thing I just want to touch on before we leave these juniors aside is I had a bit of a look at the Eels SG ball squad next year, the under-19s team. And to me, just on first glance, there's quite a few in that who were part of the, I think it was the Laurie Daly Cup, which was the yep. the second the second level, um, the, those that hadn't quite cracked the SG ball team. Exactly. And, and the, there's quite a few who were in the SG ball team last year, that even though the age has gone up to 19, so they could remain in that group, they've been elevated up to Jersey flag Correct. level. So you're year, looking at so the type of, the, the sort of the, the players we're talking about here are um, um, Caleb Toey, Peter Tateo, uh, Josh Tulpolotu, uh, Penny Toey, I'm trying to think, anyone else? Matthew Komalafi. There's like a, a whole suite of like the sort of the core players um, and I, I expect um, we're talking about, you know, Sean Russell, Jacob Alpha, uh, Will Penasini as well, all those players that were uh, in their senior year of ball in 2020, but with the bump up in age group, could have been eligible to play this year, but instead they'll be prioritised into the jersey flag, one would imagine. Well, they'd already been ones like um, Arthur, Russell, Loizu. The, were those... part of the flag program last year. Well, yeah, year. We're, sorry, we're last season, this up. year, yes, yeah, yeah, this year they were actually bumped up uh, a year early and were were looking very, very good in the um, yeah. in their preseason and in the trials and and, uh, week one. and and then round that round one with a convincing victory there. So it's uh, it, it's now interesting because there is a host of young ones there that that would be eligible for the SG ball and Parramatta's made the decision not to hold them back in that in the younger age group but to push them ahead and it it very much gives that signal that the development club ethos is being followed through on so um, we'll see where that leads anyway mate good stuff Um, and finally Origin this week yeah um, unfortunately it looks like uh, Quentin Gufferson won't win the race for the uh, fullback jersey because James Tedesco has ruled himself healthy but the good news is that he is in the starting team uh, taking place or taking part in the team at centre and um, he'll be joined in the starting team by another eel with Junior Paulo winning a berth at um, one of the bookend spots so that's a fantastic reward for those two men after absolutely amazing individual seasons and probably our best two players um, in terms of individual efforts this year would you not say? Yes, and, and I put the question out there on social media. When was the last time that the Eels had two players? Two players in, in the starting in, team. It would have been Hayne and Heimarsh. Well, no, I, I, I was wrong because I thought it was Jared Hayne and Tim Manor 2011. However, I forgot about a, a high-profile Eels recruit. In 2014, Will Hopawati. Oh, Hayne and Hopawati. Yeah, they played together. Yeah. yeah. That is a, so, that's a nasty little trivia question, actually. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about Hopawati being selected in origin during his time with us. Yeah, um, as a rookie. Made, uh, yeah, as a rookie played and then came back to us and ended up getting picked, yeah. so Yeah, it was, it was an interesting selection that he – that he made the team back then. So, um, but that, that, as it turned out, that was the last time. So that was, that was six years ago. I almost feel like putting an asterisk there because in the scheme of things, 
I don't know. I just never. I I, I don't look back on on. And, and this is with respect to Will Hoppawadi. I'm not questioning him. I, I just don't. He doesn't relate to me as an Eels player. No. Just I, I just don't. I just don't get that feel about about who he was in history. I know he spent the two seasons with us, but yeah, it just. I don't know. It's. Uh, I just feel like he, he was a decent fella, and. Um, and you know there was some, obviously there was some um, circumstances around his departure that ended up being having to be sorted out legally around contract offers, those sorts of things. But even aside from that, I don't know. It just yeah. it felt like he was a it felt like he was a guest player. He was the po- unfortunately Hopper was the poster child of the sort of administrative incompetence that he also had to deal with. Yeah, that I think that's a fair call. Yeah, that, I think that's a, I think that's a fair call, mate. So now with having RCG and Nathan Brown just on the fringe of that, uh, how far back do we have to go to oh. when there were three Eels players in the Origin team, oh. or even four? We're we talking the eighties. Yeah, well, maybe two thousand and one because Mick Vella played back then. Yeah. I'm just trying to think who else, because that, that was in, when he sort of in his origin caps. Um, Pine Marsh would have been Pine in Marsh. there with him. Kalo obviously is a Kiwi, so he doesn't get in there. Yeah. Um, and then Daniel Wagon wasn't a Queenslander, wasn't he? Yes. So, yes. Um, and what? And did Jamie? When did Jamie Lyon crack origin? Oh my goodness! I'm actually having so, a look. 2001. Oh, Brett Brett Hodgson. Brett Hodgson would have played. Uh, he, probably, well. so he, probably doesn't, he probably doesn't want to remember that, though, poor Brett. <laughs> yeah. But there may have been, for those willing to dig into the research, there might be some gold that you can come up with there. But Yeah, that's a, good, just, that's a good question to pose to our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So let's just suggest that all this adds up to us uh, tracking in the right direction. And um, and uh, let's, let's wish both uh, Gutho and Junior all the best for their origins. And in fact, this is the origin debut for both players. So let's really wish them uh, good luck in this, in this game. And uh, just looking quickly over the old uh, Wikipedia articles, two, 2001 had Bobcat and uh, Hindy in the team there. So there you go. Uh, okay. But 2002 okay. was Hodgson, Lyon, Moody, Hindmarsh and Vela. So there you go. And then yeah. f- future Parramatta Eel, Tamana Tahu. Also on the team there, so yeah. So two thousand and two yeah. was the um the big money if Parramatta was going through now. Um, then you had oh five saw Tahu and Hindy, and then oh six you saw uh, Tahu uh, Guru Junior and Hindy. So you have three players in that team. Um, Hain Highmarsh, Hain by himself, Hain by himself, Hain Tahu and Highmarsh and Manor. There you go. Twenty ten. We somehow managed to get four players into the 2010 team. What the hell? That's that's incredible. I, that, I would not have guessed. I no. would not have guessed that that was going to happen. That would have been the team. All. That would have been a team that Tamanatahu walked out on after the uh, implication of racial uh, uh, abuse that he had at the training camp. So it was Hain, um, Tahu, Hindmarsh, Tahu, Hindmarsh, and Manor. Wow. Well, in 20, 2010, that that would have actually blown me out of the water. No way I would have picked that year. No. No. But when you think about it, though, that was sort of the team riding the coattails of the 09 run. And even if we didn't start fantastically in 2010, we still had some decent performances, which sort of probably coloured the um the eyes of the selectors. So that's probably yeah. where it would be the, the grounding for it. I mean, it wasn't a great team, if I'm going to be honest. I've got uh, Tom Leroy Lars in there, uh, Mitchell Pearce and Brett Kamali in the halves. Michael Wayman played prop. Oh, my goodness. Joel Monaghan on the wing. Wow. Okay, yeah, you can understand why Queensland was so dominant at times. Looking at these teams, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's probably the that that dark was that really that was that the beginning of the dark era that, or, that or right really, in the middle of that the was, dark that era? was Kurt Gidley as captain, which would culminate in Kurt Gidley captaining off the bench at some point. So, yeah, it was really a case of the of New South Wales losing their way in a big way oh, and that's with massively. respect that look that's with respect to those players because for those players to be selected in the state of origin they're going to be doing okay for their club they're going to be performing well for their club 
And then the debate comes down to are they origin level players? Well, they were they were very good NRL players, and obviously in the case of Brett Kamali, he was someone who was very much a, a he was a premiership winner. It's hard to knock Kamali in any yeah. way, shape, or form. But yeah, when you I think if you ask the majority of people, there's a couple of players that you mentioned. If you ask them to name whether uh, name origin players in the past, I reckon pretty much 100 out of 100 would not have named a couple of those players that yeah. were listed just then. Would have elicited some, are you for real, sort of um, responses, I reckon. So, yeah, that was yeah. A, a, little blast in the past, a little blast from the past, no Ellen past. And, yeah, fascinating that 2010, four Parramatta Eels represented in the origin squad, unreal. So yeah. that's probably a fantastic place to wrap it up. So get out and support the boys on Wednesday night. Um, Guffo making his origin debut at center and junior at prop. That's absolutely awesome. And it's going to be a real great way for the, um, both the Eels as fans and Eels as a club sort of um, track into the preseason, getting these guys some big, rep, uh, big time rep experience. Yep. And all adding towards the brighter future for the Eels. Exactly. So um, as always, thanks for having a listen guys. It does mean a lot. And um, like 60 said at the start, we're just getting started on the preseason content. We've actually got some really cool stuff lined up in the near future. So keep posted. Not, not going to tease you too much on it, but um, some unique stuff and some um, unique chats, I think, coming up in just a, a short time.